0: Welcome to the VBAC Link Podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helps fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out Episodes 1, 2, and 3. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional.
1: Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to episode eight. This is Megan, and this week we have one of my own VBAC clients, which I'm so excited to have her on. Her name is Allie, and she's going to be sharing her story with you today along um, with why having a VBAC was so important for her. Allie, thanks again so much for being with us on the podcast. Um, I, I'm just going to turn the time over to you to share your story.
2: Okay, thank you, Megan.
1: Um, I'm really honored to be part of
2: this project because after my um, first birth, which was a cesarean, I really started looking into VBACs and learning about them, and it became really important to me, even before we were thinking about having another baby, to try and make that a reality. Um, I guess my story starts with uh, my first baby, I had a pretty normal pregnancy up until my water broke at 35 weeks and we went into the hospital to confirm that my water had broken and they confirmed it and then they did the ultrasound and he was breached. Um, my midwife, um, she wasn't sure about trying to turn him or what and so she had the doctor on call come in. And he took a look at the ultrasound. He's like, oh no, we, we can't do, we, we shouldn't try flipping him. We, we need to just do a C-section. And, um, it was a holiday weekend and it kind of felt like that situation where everybody was just kind of in a rush. And, you know, after the doctor talked to me, I was like, where's my midwife? I want to talk to her. You know, like I, I don't, obviously I don't have to do anything this guy says, but I I want to figure out what's, you know, my best option. And honestly, I wasn't even ready for, you know, having a baby at that point. I was five weeks early. It was my first baby. I'd had a completely uncomplicated pregnancy. So I was so confused and overwhelmed at that time. So when he said, you know, this is what we need to do, and it wasn't part of my plan, I immediately became even more anxious and overwhelmed than I had been before. And my wooden wife came in. She's like, yeah, I think, I think we, should, you should, we should do what he says. And so it was a really hard thing to come to grips with at that point. And I, you know, struggled with it, even at that immediate point. Um, because I was only 35 weeks, you know, I have some <laughs> lingering frustration with the hospital and because where I delivered they didn't have a NICU and they kind of mentioned when they checked me in they're like, "Well, you're only 35 weeks, so, you know, there could be some complications, but we're prepared to handle them. You know, are you comfortable and being a first-time mother with, you know, no anticipation of having an unhealthy baby?" I just kind of trusted what they said and and you know, stayed at that hospital. So, when I finally you know, calmed down and basically gave in to letting them do a C-section. He came out and he was having trouble breathing, but was breathing. And so they had to take him away right away. I saw him for maybe a second as he came out. And my husband went with him um, to the nursery and, you know, was there with the neonatologist and they were working with him. I don't remember a ton between then and when they told us that he wasn't doing well enough for them to keep him at that hospital. Um, He had to be transferred to a different hospital. And because I had had a C-section, you know, and it was literally not even hours after my C-section, I couldn't go with him. I couldn't be discharged and insurance won't pay to have you transferred to a different hospital. Um, So you have to pay for the ambulance ride. If you want to be transferred, you can't just like drive in your own car or anything. And the expense of that was like, I mean, I don't know what it would have been for me, but I know the bill we paid for my son to be transferred via ambulance um, was over $5,000. And so I didn't, hold my baby until he was three days old. And he was in the NICU for 26 days. Um, And even though I never went into labor, I never felt a contraction, my water broke, but I never experienced any signs of labor after that, which being 35 weeks isn't super surprising. But um, I never experienced anything that made it feel like a birth for me. And for me, that made my C-section so traumatic. It wasn't that I had, I I never really felt like I had failed or anything. It was just all of the circumstances surrounding my C-section made it traumatic for me. And You know, when I heard other women's stories about C-sections, you know, where they found out baby was breached in the um, in one of their appointments and, you know, they had a scheduled C-section and it was all fine. Or even after a traumatic labor, you know, baby came out like I can understand why so many women are so willing when the doctor says, oh, you had a previous C-section, we'll just schedule your for your next one we'll just schedule it you don't you don't need to try for a back. i understand how so many women find that to be the not even the more appealing option but they just don't even question it you know that's what their doctors say and for their circumstance they feel better about that you know it wasn't a traumatic experience but for me because it was such a traumatic experience it really it wasn't really an option <laughs> to even think about not having a VBAC. I was so emotionally traumatized by the birth experience I had had, which happened to be a C-section, that it just wasn't an option. And so I started researching and looking into, you know, information about VBACs and, you know, asking about it at my doctor's appointments, even, and stuff like that. Um, Early on, even before we were ever thinking about having other kids and um, for a while I honestly was so emotionally it was such an emotionally charged thing for me that even seeing a picture of a mom holding her newborn baby you know right after birth would just send me into tears because you know I never got that and I know that a lot of women say that when they have a c-section they feel like you know they failed or something like that and I never really felt that I just felt like I missed out you know for me Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I didn't feel like my situation had to be that way my son wasn't in distress I wasn't in distress we could have waited to see if my labor would start naturally and you know baby could turn on his own we could have tried an inversion or whatever to get him to turn around like there were so many options that once I was out of that emotionally charged situation of the doctor telling me this is what you have to do and my midwife agreeing with him, you know, I just, I felt so much frustration that I wasn't even allowed to try. And so when I actually started like trying to find a new doctor, I probably a year before I got pregnant with our second child, because I kept um, wanting to establish a relationship and find someone who would be on board with me doing a VBAC, you know, before I got pregnant. I'm an anxious person by nature, and so I like to be prepared. Um, And I kept looking, but all of like the doctors that, you know, people would say, oh, this person's amazing, you know, they're great or whatever, I'd call in and they'd be like, oh, we won't even see you. Um, unless you're already pregnant. You know, we won't even, like, talk to you. And I'm like, and I was, like, so distraught over the fact that I couldn't even, you know, work towards this goal that I wanted um, until I was actually pregnant. Why wouldn't
1: they see you?
2: Because they were full or they were busy or, you know, they were all, most of the places I called were, um, like, OB specific they weren't you know OBs and gynecology stuff like they uh-huh. keep you as a gynecology patient after you'd have the baby you know and do your checks once you were an established patient but to become a patient you had to be pregnant they were they were just so busy um, because they were good you know everybody wanted to use them so they were too busy to take on people who weren't actually pregnant and I understand that it was just a very it, it made that time waiting and thinking and hoping, you know, even more stressful. And so when I finally did find out I was pregnant with um, our second, we'd actually been trying for a year. So we, I had been diagnosed with low progesterone before I ever got pregnant with my first. And so I wanted to get checked right away to make sure everything was in, that, you know, my levels were good. We didn't need to adjust anything. So it came as kind of a surprise when we found out we were pregnant. We'd been trying for a year, you know, nothing was was working. And so when we finally found out, I was kind of panicked to find a doctor. So I kind of just went with the first person who was close and had a personal recommendation. And I ended up um, going to this guy and when I, you know, told him my concerns, you know, like I knew that I had some, I guess you could call them dings against me for, being a VBAC candidate. My water broke early um, and there was no reason for it, so it kind of, it made me a high-risk pregnancy. And then also, I guess I forgot to mention, my firstborn was seven pounds, 13 ounces at five weeks early. And my husband also has a history of large babies in his family. And so basically, they told me, um, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty much set to have big babies like genetically this is this is what's most likely to happen so big babies water breaking early c-section like all of those things were kind of dings against me for me to be able to have a vaginal delivery and so when i ended up going to this doctor that i just kind of pulled out of a hat um he was very nice but as um, the appointments, I guess I should say that it wasn't just because of him that I ended up switching to a different doctor, but I, we actually found out that I was pregnant with twins at um, about five weeks. I was having some cramping, and they had me come in, and they did an ultrasound, and there were um, two sacks. And they told me right then, they said, don't tell people you're having twins. Don't tell people that you know there's two babies because you could lose one and they had me come in for an ultrasound every week after that and at eight weeks we lost one of the babies and um it was a so because i'd been to the office so much already at eight weeks um by the time i'd been going i think it was about 16 weeks or something and just every time that I went, when I'd talk with the doctor and I'd be like, you know, I really want to have a back, And he'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll try. We'll try for it. And it was just something about the way that he said it. It was like, I don't feel like you're you're in this as much as I want you to be, you know. And when you have a goal that is so important to you, that a lot of it depends on the decisions and um, things that you know this doctor would have to make in the heat of the moment, you know when all of that depends a lot on them and they're kind of lukewarm <laughs> about your goals and how important they are to you I just i I knew that i I couldn't stay there, and that combined with the memories of those ultrasounds and um, from losing our other baby, it, it just kind of spurred me to, to look for another doctor. And I had heard some good things about another doctor at a different hospital. And when I called them, they were pretty full, but they had one doctor who was coming back from maternity leave. And so I wouldn't be able to see her immediately, but she would be my eventual like for the long-term doctor and mm-hmm. so it was kind of like fate it felt so right because I was like she just did this <laughs> you know she's ready Great. for me you know she's going to be in my court and um I I do truly believe that that's the practice I was meant to be at for what I needed because I had I had talked to other people who had had um, bad hospital experiences, and they went. They ended up having their babies at home or at a birth center. But because I'd never been in labor at all, and I honestly had no idea if what my body would do in labor, and I wasn't 100% confident in its ability to do it, to do what it needed to, and so I wanted to be in a hospital for the eventualities. And I also wanted to have an OB because I felt like in my situation, my midwife didn't fight for me against that doctor, you know, when I had Jordan, that on-call doctor, you know, she just went with what he said. And I was like, if somebody's going to be cutting me open, I want them to care about me. I want them to know who I am and care about what I care about because he didn't. And, you know, I don't know if that would have changed the outcome, but it was just one of those things that the trauma of my first birth um Made it a big deal to me, and so I ended up. You know, that's that's where I wanted to be. And so when I went to this practice, I just felt like this was where I needed to be. But the funny thing is, is they still weren't. Um, these doctors still weren't like, "Let's do this. You're gonna do this." Like, you know, they were totally supportive. They're like, "We support your decision." They're like, but we do have to tell you the risks. And so a lot of my pregnancy was them saying, you know, we, we support you in a VBAC, but we're, we're going to tell you the, the nitty-gritty details. And they would lay out the facts um, and the statistics. You know, if you have a big baby, um, there is a chance of shoulder dystocia, which is where the baby gets stuck, and there can be some serious complications for this. Um, And when they talked about it, it was interesting to me because the way that they talked about it, they made it seem like it was pretty serious. And then, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm taking this seriously, but, you know, I want to give my body a chance, you know, to do this naturally, like vaginally if I can. And Mm -hmm. then they told me the statistics that went with them. And I cannot remember the statistics off the top of my head, but I remember it being much lower in my head, then would be associated with their dread of this, basically, like they seemed really scared of this. But the chances of it happening seemed really low. Um, Once they explained, you know, the actual numbers, and I was like, Okay, I'm like, so I still want to try. And they'd be like, Okay, you know, this, I guess this is what we're doing. But it was just so interesting to me, that they would take these very small chances, and make such big decisions off of them. Because I'd never been in labor. They had no idea if my body could do what it was supposed to or not. And the chances of something going wrong were really low. And also, I would be in a hospital. I would have doctors there to take care of things. Like, it wasn't going to – I wasn't going to be in a field somewhere giving birth by myself, you know. And so (laughs) – my my options, right. were, my options were good. I was going to be in a safe place. And so for me, it was just interesting to see how worried they were. And it played into um, my pregnancy. I Up until I was 37 weeks, I was worried the whole time that I was, my water was going to break early. I was going to go into labor early. I was going to have another NICU baby, which was going to be so hard. And I was so worried about that. And then I made it to 37 weeks. And then I realized, holy crap, they're also worried that he's going to be big, which he was. Um, And it was, so up to 37 weeks, I was just so stressed that I was going to have an early baby. And then 37 weeks hit, and I'm like, holy crap, this baby needs to come now, or they're going to freak out. If I make it to, like, 40 weeks, they're going to be like, this is a 12-pound baby. Like, you know, and you can just I remember (laughs) You can tell yes. with doctors when they're making decisions based on their assumptions based and not just on what's happening. You know, when Megan, and Megan remembers this because she was there, when I was pushing, which was four hours, which was a long time. <laughs> um, you worked so hard. <laughs> I did, I did. But there were two OBs in the room and three nurses. They were so terrified that my baby would get stuck, that he would have, you know, soldier's associate would happen, that I was pushing, like I was flat on my back and I was pushing for four hours with, there was like a total of nine people in the room just for when I was pushing because they were so worried about this. And, you know, I'm glad that they were, you know, being prepared and stuff, but it just kind of shows you that mentality that they have. And I had had an ultrasound at 38 weeks, and he was measuring at nine pounds. So, I mean, they, I mean, those ultrasounds can be it off, can but be in a my little case,
1: yes. yeah,
2: yeah. But in my case, it, it was actually correct because he was born at 39 weeks at 10 pounds, and so yeah, it. I, and it's funny. I actually realized this later on, but I had said to my husband and numerous times talking like if you just come at like 39 weeks, that would be perfect, he could be fully developed. And then they wouldn't be we wouldn't be at 40 weeks where they're like pushing me to, you know, induce my labor or anything like that, you know, just be perfect, he could come at 39 weeks. And I didn't realize it at the time, but he came exactly to the day at 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so apparently, he he heard our conversation he listened. and listened. he listened <laughs> to his stressed out mama, because and it was just it was a funny thing that it happened that way but i think the the thing about my story that i want people who are trying for a v- vbac or who have had a c section or are going to have more you know for various reasons is i have had a c section and i've had a vaginal delivery and I thought that the vaginal delivery was going to be so much easier, you know, recovery wise, um, expect, like not easier in the midst of it. Cause obviously in the midst of it, that is not easier than laying on a table
1: mm-hmm.
2: doped up. <laughs> but, um, I thought the recovery would be so much easier. And I ended up hemorrhaging because I had labored for two days prior to actually getting into active labor, um, and then I pushed for four hours, and so I ended up hemorrhaging. Um, but now that I've had both types of deliveries, a cesarean and a vaginal, I can say with great confidence that there is absolutely no easy way to bring a human into this world. For another human to exit your body, there is no easy way to do it, it's all hard. And I think that's an important thing for us to realize as women, that, you know, there is so many different variations of hard, and that's just how it is. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it doesn't have to be beautiful and wonderful and, you know, everything you can ever dream of. It's just part of what, you know, part of life and one of those things that is hard but worth it kind of a thing. Um, my delivery with uh, my second baby, it was that kind of hard but worth it situation. I labored for um, two days in early labor. Um, we actually thought that I was in active labor, and we went to the hospital, and they're like, yeah, you're at a two. Um, I don't even know what I was effaced or anything, but they they let me walk around the hospital and, like, Try and get things going, and by the time an hour went by and they checked me again, they're like, We can give you some morphine to sleep and send you home, but that's about it. And so, by the time that um, I, my water actually broke about 24 hours after they discharged me from the hospital that first time, my water finally broke. I'd been awake for like two solid days, um, Mm -hmm. contracting on and off, and I was just so tired. And so, when I, we got to the hospital after my water had broken. I, they hooked me up to all these machines because I was a VBAC, and so they had to do continuous monitoring. And I was just having so much trouble with contractions, and I ended up getting an epidural, which was not part of my plan, but I think it ended up being what needed to happen at the time because mm-hmm. I was able to get some rest. And if I had had, and if my, I think it probably slowed down my labor because I think I took about. 16 or 20 hours between when I got to the hospital after my water broke to when I delivered
1: yeah, time to push. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And
2: so I think the epidural probably slowed my labor, but um, I honestly don't know that if I hadn't gotten it, if I could have done it, cause I would have been so tired. I was so, so tired at that point. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those things you just take life, as it comes and you're okay with it. And because I am planning on getting pregnant again someday, I think I'm going to learn from my last birth. And um, I I think I'll I'll probably try and find a birth center because I know that they won't require that continuous monitoring that a hospital would so that I can be better able to deal with the contractions. Because I think that was probably the hardest part of, um, dealing with the contractions was I was also hooked up to an IV for a uh, uh, group strep B um, mm-hmm. antibiotics. And so I was really confined in my movements and um, just wasn't able to really, and and my contractions got way worse after my water broke. And I was still only mm-hmm. dilated, I think, to like a three when we got there. Um to the hospital after my water broke. And so it would have been still probably a long time <laughs> before he mm-hmm. was ready to come out. But after, you know, two days of early labor, you know, 16 to 20 hours active, four hours pushing, hemorrhaging, you know, it was definitely not an easy, picturesque birth, but the best the best reason, the reason why I know that the um, OB- clinic that I went to was for me. I didn't even end up with my doctor. She wasn't she was, I think, out on that day, so it was a different um, OB who delivered my baby. She came to me after everything that had happened. I had hemorrhaged, you know, and they, had, they actually thought I had a cervical tear um, because I was bleeding so much. and so they took me back to the OR to um, look for it. and it ended up being that I, just because I'd pushed so long, and I would labored so long that I just wasn't contracting back down. And so that's why um, the bleeding wasn't stopping. And they were able to stop the bleeding, and I was fine. Um, but she came to me after all that had happened, and she said, this is what you were meant to do. You were meant to have a VBAC. You were meant to you know, have this baby vaginally, and it won't be as hard next time. And that was the amazing thing about um, – my situation, because doc, another doctor, have easily used a scare tactic and said, you know, this was the risk that you took trying for a VBAC, especially with a big baby, because big babies longer labor. You know, they they totally could have gone that route, and
1: or she even could have called it after two hours of pushing.
2: Yeah, or even, and they never once. I had absolutely no mm-hmm. no idea how long I was. I had been pushing. No. I had absolutely no idea. Nobody said anything even once about you know episiotomy or anything there were actually times where in my head I was yelling for an episiotomy because that was done but <laughs> you know <laughs> they were amazing and um, you know the fact that she would come to me and take the time to say that was such an empowering experience for me to know that I, I mean I it was amazing for me because even though I hemorrhaged, they had to take me back to the OR, I got to hold my baby right after he was born for 40 minutes. And that might not seem like a lot to some people, but because of the experience that I had had before, it meant the world to me.
1: Mm.
2: And then to be able to bring him home right away um, once we were discharged from the hospital those two things made it all worth it. I lost a liter and a half of blood um, and they said that because my iron levels went back up um, while I was in the hospital, even just a little bit, that they didn't want to do a transfusion, and so I was very weak and anemic for over a month after having him and so you I mean, some people would say that it wasn't worth it. You know, They would have rather just have just had the C-section and dealt with the surgery, but for me personally, it meant everything to be able to do it that way. And I think that's so important about birth is that we have to empower women to do what feels right to them. That's what obstetrics and um, delivery, all of that should really be about it should be about empowering women to do what it is that they feel you know is right for them if it's having another c section if it's having a v back if it's having their baby at home or in a birthing center you know birth should be about empowering women because it is a personal thing and you know, we're not just statistics. We're not just average. You know, all of us are different. We all have so much variations in our stories and in ourselves that birth is meant to be different for everybody and that's okay. And I think that's what we as a community of women and as mothers, you know, we need to acknowledge between each other and we need to make sure that we're being supportive of, supportive of that, of everyone being themselves in their own birth. So what's so important for us to remember as a community of women and mothers is that we're not pushing people to do things that they're not comfortable with or that don't feel safe to them. We just need to be present with people and where they're at and what is right for them. Everybody is so different. I can't, stress that enough because I've always felt like that odd person I don't know if everybody feels that way but I've always felt that way and so one of the most freeing things I've ever come to understand as a person is that differences aren't weird or abnormal they're what make us normal because if everybody was the same that would not be normal it's just not realistic with all of the genetics and environmental factors for all of us to come out the same is just impossible and it's the same with birth and motherhood and you know all those areas of life differences are normal and they're what make life interesting Um, and so I think what I'd like to leave you with especially anybody who's considering a VBAC you know if you're considering it the likelihood is it's what you want and if it's what you want, make sure that you find someone who's going to fight for that with you. And if you're in a situation like me where you don't feel comfortable with you know, someone who's completely naturally minded like a midwife or whatever, um, or you feel more comfortable with an OB in a hospital situation, I highly encourage you to find someone who's going to be there to support you such as a doula, or make sure your husband is um, educated and ready to be there for you. You know, Megan was such an inspiration for me. And, you know, when I was interviewing doulas, I I loved people's stories and, you know, hearing, you know, what they offered. But when I heard Megan's story that she was also a VBAC mom, it was just like fate. And I just knew that she was the one who was going to, you know, help me get through this. And I encourage anybody who is attempting a VBAC um, that they find that person for them, the person who's going to cheer you on, even if it isn't your provider. um, They don't have to be the person that cheers you on the most, you can have somebody else who can be there for you. I really hope that in my story, you can find peace within yourself to accept, you know, whatever circumstances led you to wherever you were. And just to be able to accept that and to move on and to feel comfortable with yourself, because so much of life encourages you to doubt yourself or to feel like something isn't right. And so I always want my words towards others to make them feel like they are right. They are what they need to be. In that moment, you are always what you need to be. You are always where you need to be. You can change and be different from the next moment. But where you are, is okay. What you're doing is good. And and you are enough.
1: I love it. Oh, thank you so much. You I mean, like, I just like replayed that whole day back. Really those couple days back, and it was just, it was wonderful and watching the strength and the power that you found deep inside as you were pushing and as you received your baby. It was just incredible, and I totally just welled up with tears and started sniffing along, so I had to mute my phone. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for sharing, Allie. Anything else that you would like to say? Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for doing this. Today's educational fact is the Bulletin on Shoulder Dystocia by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the ACOG, lists the rate of shoulder dystocia as 1.4% of vaginal births. To find more about shoulder dystocia, visit ShoulderDystociaInfo.com. We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, Post on social media with the hashtag YWeVBAC and tag at the VBAC link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate
0: us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website UtahVBACLink com for more information on our ZBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.